yes, I'm very confident. But at the same time, I'm aware that I can't, I can never just go back to eating this general restaurant food and, and you know, eating animal products and everything that's going to start pushing me in the wrong direction. This podcast does not constitute medical advice. All changes surrounding medications, diet and exercise should be made in consultation with a professional who can assess your unique health circumstances. Welcome to the Rheumatoid Solutions Podcast with Clint Patterson, helping you to live an easier, healthier, and happier life. G'day folks, don't we love a great story? We've got another one today, and I cannot wait for this story. This story is for you if you have been working and working and working on your inflammation reduction with inflammatory arthritis, and it has been excruciatingly slow, and you are looking for the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, an example of someone who has been through the trenches and has had excruciatingly slow results, but has got there in the end, this episode is for you. My guest is Brian. He's he's going to talk about his unusual uh, diagnosis procedure that ended up being rheumatoid arthritis. And then, as I mentioned, this very slow progress and the mental and physical uh, discipline that was required throughout this process. We're going to talk about disease-modifying drugs and how in Brian's case, they weren't the answer for him despite trying several, and in fact, some of the side effects that was associated, potentially associated with one of those medications. And then something that's absolutely fascinating. We're going to talk about how he manipulated the time he ate and the amount of food that he ate that dramatically gave him breakthroughs with his inflammation, so much so Although I, I I won't do his before and after for you, I'll let him share that with you right now uh, before we uh, before we get into his story and talk about all of these things. But you're going to love it. So Brian, thanks so much for joining me today. Give us this. Can you just give us like a TV commercial, like where you were and where you are now, in just a little snapshot? When I first was uh, struggling with my most intense symptoms about five years, more than five years ago my symptoms would come on just suddenly and i'd be have debilitating symptoms in you know some joint or whatever and it would just keep jumping from joint to joint and it was almost it felt like being in a car accident like every other day of my life and there was new parts of my body that i couldn't move and i'd always be hobbling around work struggling to walk sometimes and there were many times i had to over the years, I had to call into work because I couldn't walk to function. Now, you know, after five years of really struggling um, and not getting benefit from the medications, I've gotten myself to the point where I'm, most people would consider where I'm at as completely symptom-free. I'm aware that there's little twinges here and there that are just slight here and there, so I'm still working on improving at this point, but I'm at least like, 98% of the way symptom-free. It's absolutely sensational. And uh, what we're going to cover as our theme here is this was one heck of a grind, wasn't it? Yes. One yeah. heck of a grind. Uh, very, very slow. 
to the yeah. to the point where the first couple of years I was questioning, is this helping at all? And my wife, I think, was getting to the point where I should, I think around the two-year mark, she's like, are you still doing this? Is it is this worth it doing this anymore? So it was so, a very slow process. Okay. Well, fortunately, we've already uh, revealed that there is a happy ending to this, and you've shared that incredible before and after where you talk about feeling like a car accident, not able to get to work. So we're all curious because I don't know myself the details of this. Uh, so let's get into it. Uh, let's talk about, let, let's make our way nice and nice and efficiently through your story, because I think where it gets real interesting is how you manipulated all this with your exercise, with your diet manipulations. And that's what we all want to hear. So, but walk us through, you had an atypical diagnosis. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, I was diagnosed in June of 2017. And I was having uh, symptoms and suspicion of possible um, autoimmune. I personally was suspecting that for about a year before that. And I was diagnosed completely just on the fact that in um, x-ray of my hands, there was some osteopenia. And then the rheumatologist was like, well, we should look at this a little closer. She first thought I was kind of just full of anxiety and everything. And she thought it was not, you know, she thought I shouldn't be there. And then she did the MRI on my hands and this very clearly active synovitis. So the diagnosis was seronegative RA. The atypical things about it is that most of my symptoms would, it would often last for many days at a time, but it would never last, it would almost never last in a joint more than about six or eight hours at the most, sometimes four. So one joint would just flare up and just be completely distorted, and then I couldn't use that joint, and my finger would swell up, so it looked like a, you know, like a sausage or something, and it would just go away in a few hours, but it'd be somewhere else. So it was very difficult to monitor also my progress because it would always go away for a day or two here and there anyway, and come back suddenly. So. I also, other things are atypical about my, my symptoms. The most common are, are for me was my, my wrists, my hands, my knees, but I also would get it in the cervical spine to the point where that motion you're doing right there, I couldn't do. So like I couldn't lift my head. I couldn't, I, I would just have to turn my whole body to look for, for, you know, six hours or a day or something. I could, this could not move much at all without severe pain. Um, it also affects my, it would affect once in a while still, once in a while still affects my tendons. And the worst were the back of my knees and my, sometimes my Achilles tendons. That would really swell up in, a, a bit uh, uh, and they click and grind and pop as you move them. And that can be really painful. Oh, one of the ones that was most painful is a little unusual. I get it would just happen once in a while, but I get I get RA in this joint right here at the where my collarbone meets to the to the shoulder. And that's put that puts your arm out of action, right? I imagine. Completely. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And and my CRP on those days, I was never, I was always negative, but my CRP, for example, the days my knees were just swollen huge, 
I, w- I would hobble in, get my blood work done, and my CRP would come back at seven. At just seven? Yeah, 0. 0.7. A 0. 0.7. Yeah. So yeah. you were seronegative with rheumatoid factor, anti-CCP antibodies, and you'd also yes. not yes. have responsive CRP. Yes. And yet you could barely walk and your knees were swollen. Yes. You've got all these other issues going on, feeling like you hit like a bus. Well, this, you know, it does happen sometimes, doesn't it? And the doctors yeah. often come on to our so, live calls and talk about this. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I've had, you know, people try to tell me I have, you know, you know, um, undiagnosed chronic uh, Lyme disease, all these other things. And there's a lot of things that didn't make sense with most of the other, other ideas too. But I mean, I probably have some sort of just unspecified polyneuropathy, you know, arthropathy, you know, that just doesn't make sense. So, but my rheumatologist, you know, believes that it doesn't matter what the diagnosis you treat with immunosuppression. It doesn't matter what it doesn't matter what it's Lyme disease or whatever. You know? So my progress was so extremely slow, where those first couple of years I was doing all the work. I was exercising almost every day. I was working with at first it was swimming. And then I tried the, the Bikram yoga, which I knew would be limited because I have this old issue um, with my hip. Um, but I worked with the Bikram yoga for a couple months and, and realized that, well, I can only do less than half of it. But still, I was, it was still maybe a little helpful. Then I got to the bicycle and I was able to bicycle, which I hadn't been able to do in a long time um, for that same reason. And once I got the bicycle, then that was just my... I was on that bicycle almost every day, pushing myself and and loosening up my knees, getting going, getting going, and just make sure I, I push myself to the point where I'm just totally drenched in sweat every time. I come back, you know, half hour, 45 minutes, whatever. All my other work in the kitchen and everything. Then I do my meditation. You know, then I'd be studying, you know, you know what am I missing? Because it was such slow progress. After two years of doing your program, trying methotrexate, which failed in five months, and that almost seemed to make it worse. So I was afraid to try the next thing. I'm like, well, this probably, maybe this isn't all right. So then I was afraid and I'm just like working with the lifestyle stuff. And six months later, then I tried uh, um, hydrochloroquine. Did that for six months. Absolutely no, no help. After a couple of years, I'm like, well, I think I'm better. I think I'm 25, 30% better, but is it just my imagination? You know, like, am I just tricking myself because it's still overall the same situation? And then I, and then I started um, getting close to the, the third year, I started leflunamide, which I was a little weary about. And I was also struggling, do I, do I go to biologics? And I, I kind of first requested... I should go to a biologic kind of at your your recommendation, but she's like, no, we should probably try this. Let's try them a little more conservative first. And then, so I did the loflunamide. I was on that for a year, and about six months in, I'm like, well, maybe this is helping some because I'm getting a little bit better. But it was very slow. And then I ended up after a little over a year, I ended up developing a side effect with that where I started getting neuropathy in my feet, and and after a few months, I, I found literature. And showed that that could be potentially related to the leflunamide. So I stopped that. 
and was looking into that. And as I was as I was off the lafunamide for a couple of months, I kept getting better. I kept getting better. So six months later, I'm still getting much better and much better. So I'm like, I really struggled with the idea. Okay, now do I go to biologic? Now that I'm 70 percent better, and still getting better over time. So it took me to like five years before I got to the point where I'm like. 95% better. I'm kind of getting, you know, I'm getting a few of those advanced foods into my, into my system. And um, it's very slow progress. But over the time, I could never see the progress, you know, month to month, I could not see any progress. That was a frustrating thing. It was only when I look back two years or three years, that's when the progress was apparent. It's like, yeah, I'm definitely getting better. So now I'm to the point where I have almost no symptoms most of the time. And the little bit of symptoms I have, let's say in a week, I might have a few hours of symptoms once or twice a week. But it's it's so minimal that most people wouldn't even notice it. It's just like, oh, I have a slight stiffness in my wrist. And four hours later, it's gone. You know, I'm, I'm aware that's still there, so I'm still working on it, still trying to find you know new ways to move forward a little bit further to yeah that's i mean it's it's phenomenal um what was getting you through all this time mentally because you know when there is that degree of resistance for progress and if there's probably you know family pressure saying Come on, is this, as you said, yeah. is this working? Yeah, I'm sure and, a lot of my in-laws thought I was absolutely crazy after after a couple of years. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. When when you go to social events and then your family yes. are there and they're like, why don't you eat the chicken mm-hmm. with us? And you have to mm-hmm. go through that whole process of explanation. So what things did you keep coming back to in your mind to keep you pushing forward? It was a lot of belief in the 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 literature that is there on you know improving improving ra with the low fat plant based diet the literature that is there on the gut biome and everything like that what what you have laid out with you know uh, dr clapper and and uh, you know all the other professionals that you have on the show and everything was my best bet and i really believe that it's likely that over time it could could improve and the fact that you have the you know the the support form which was not the same for me as the the majority of people that or some people that are in the form you know they're trying to work through their stuff all the time and you know talk with other people with support i kind of envy that a little bit but for me it was more more just knowing that everybody was there that you could reach out to people and i couldn't reach out to you every six months or whatever and just say, hey, you know, this is where I'm at. Can I get some advice? Um, it made such a difference. I mean, I don't know if I could have done it by myself. And it gives me an enormous respect for how you figured it out in the first, you know, and, and did it without the support. And there was just so much of the time of me working through those most intense years with meditation and and you know working on gratitude it, it all it all adds together isn't it interesting how we do continually sort of 
increase the bar as to what we expect for ourselves with our symptoms as we improve such that it continually looks like we we we're sort of just in a treadmill um mm. i can totally relate to that and uh, we forget just how bad we were you know each of us could list all of the horrendous levels of incapacity that we've been through but it probably would not be any different to every one of our audience members who are thinking well, I can beat that because I did X, Y, Z, or I couldn't open this or move my foot. or And, and we're all just in that together. We've all had bad days that are so awful. And when the days are much better, then something like you said, like once a week when that wrist is uh, is sore for, for a few hours, that consumes our world. And we think, why haven't I gotten to the absolute 100 out of 100 yet? And that is all consuming. Whereas back in the day, not going to work because you couldn't move your neck and your hands, everything was, I mean, obviously you can look back and see it now, but as we're going through it year by year, what I'm trying to say is it is sometimes hard to see the progress as we yeah. go through this. Yeah. Like, like those first, those first couple of years when I, I like, I think I'm maybe 30% better after the first two years, but looking back, compared to the when I first started but you're uh, I was also like well it's been two years is it just my imagination that I'm that much better you know I, I, I'm still dealing with those same type of process and the same oscillation of symptoms and mm. and you know, it it took just so much time mm. and I I hope that's an encouragement to the people who have been doing this for a long time and are struggling with where I was years ago. Well, let's. I, I don't think there's guarantees that it will work, but at the same time, even a little bit of improvement over time, even if that's just combined with your medications, is a huge improvement in the long run. It's it's just so worth it, especially when it is slowly is building on each other year after year. Why don't we, when we're towards the end of this chat, we list all of the things that's worked absolutely the best for you because okay. one of the okay. things we haven't got to yet, and I want to spend a fair bit of time on that. Let's just go straight to the modifications to your eating yes. that you did. Yes. And I want to explore that from both the science and also from your personal experience and the mechanics of it. But tell us, when did you start this dietary manipulation? What did it look like? Where did the idea come from? How did you sort of implement it? Just the whole lot. I, from multiple places, but both with from some of your um, material that you have out there where you were talking about giving the your digestive tract a lot of time um, for intervals between taking in food. And also, there was one point where I'd reached out to um, True North a couple times. And I think by the time I reached out to them, that was also, I was also already starting on this path. But that was one of their their recommendations as well, is, is you close the window of your intake of calories to a small time frame. So 
what I ended up doing that made a big difference, which was very difficult because I have very, very high calorie intake needs just to maintain my weight. But I, I ended up starting to realize I was doing just as well as far as my weight if I was eating two really big meals a day rather than three. Okay, I want to stop you. I don't know how I got there. I don't know how I got there. What you did is you went from three meals or possibly more, as as many of us have done over the years, snacking if you include that. So you just condensed all of the same amount of calories into just two meals. Yes, and more of an eight-hour window of eating. What time? So I usually eat around a little early for lunch or, or, or at lunchtime, somewhere 11, 12, you know, is my typical breakfast time. And then I would eat again at dinner time. So I could, would be able to eat my, you know, next to my wife or whatever in the evening. By doing that, there was, I was noticing already just by doing that, that it was, I was getting a little bit of an improvement. And I, I worked with your baseline for it probably close to two years where I was just most almost always just on a baseline or I just maybe including one one of the, one or two of the next things and the baseline going back to the baseline wasn't resetting me and that's and it was also hard to tell when I get a reset because I have such short symptoms anyway but what would help reset me was so I'd be in that two meal a day um, rhythm and then if I had really bad symptoms then I'd go to one meal and I really worked with this for a long time to figure out how much I could, could I do that for three days, you know, two or three days in a row if I had to and not lose weight. And it was working for me. And I don't know if that was something that only happened over time. I don't know if you could start with that because this was years into it. Because when I first started the plant-based diet, I dropped down to 130 pounds and I, I was just stuck there. So I was able to, over time, get a little bit better than that. And I was able to go, you know, do two meals a day and then just oscillate down to one meal a day for two, sometimes three days in a row to reset. And that would just slowly ease back my symptoms and ease back the inflammation. And then I go back to two meals a day. And that worked really well. I would think that that could be helpful for certain people that have been doing this for a long time. I would I, I I would hope that somebody first starting this in their first year probably wouldn't recommend that, especially if you can get benefits from medication and you know modifying everything else first. But if somebody's been struggling this for a long time, and you can manage to do a couple of days, you know, one meal a day and not lose weight, you know, or if the losing weight is not a concern, you know that might be a really useful strategy how much food did you have to eat at that meal time uh, and how long did it take to eat that food and did it feel uncomfortable during or afterwards and then i have more questions <laughs> well normally it takes me a, a pretty solid hour to to really get a good meal so um, to take in enough calories and i always finish everything with a a big batch of sweet potatoes at the end to fill me myself up. The meals, if I go to one meal a day, I would probably take at least an hour and 15 minutes, sometimes an hour and a half of just 
slowly chewing and chewing and stuffing it in and <laughs> and you get to that point where you just can't get any more in and then you're just done for and then you're done until the next day around that time. And Amazing. I hated those times when I had to do that. This really difficult for me, but there was a, and there have been a handful of times I'd fasted a couple of days, you know, a couple of times to test that. It is so difficult for me to go without without eating, but that or just doing that calorie restriction one meal a day, but mm. it would work a lot as long as it, I was careful not to lose weight. Mm. Was, let's let's take a pause there and and I'll read out some uh, information that I uh, printed out here from a microbiologist um, a researcher Kiran Krishnan. This is from a transcription mm. from an interview that I watched, and then I've got some science around this. So. What's going on here is um, uh, Kieran says, when you first eat a meal, the first seven or eight hours of that meal, the primary digesters. Now, primary digesters are the famous uh, species in our gut microbiome, like bifidobacteria, lactobacillus, et cetera, et cetera. These are called primary uh, because they take the macronutrients, uh, a lot of the cellulose and so forth, and convert that into their own energy and spit out metabolites, but he'll probably get to that yeah. in a second. So they consume the main nutrients, and then they're kicking out the secondary metabolites, and then other molecules will then feed on the secondary digesters, right? So what's happening is that let's say that the primary bacteria, they are producing substances that actually are the fuel for a subset of species of microbes that can only thrive when with space and 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 uh, real estate in the uh, in the colon, when the first guys, the primaries, haven't been fed for a while, because then they are benefiting from the metabolites from the first from the primary. But if you keep feeding the primary constantly, then their numbers become so great, even though they're healthy bacteria, their numbers become so great that they're sort of ones in their shadow, the secondaries, they can't proliferate. Mm -hmm. And so if we're looking for diversity increases, then it has been proven that if you take long periods where you don't eat, the secondaries can, can develop in their, their numbers. And then we show up with more diversity in our gut tests and so on. And so I've got a bunch of studies here that's, yeah, it's all like, it's all messy to try and share on Zoom and stuff. But here's a, a quote from one study. Intermittent fasting has been shown to increase gut microbiome diversity in mice, rats, and humans. Multiple studies on that. And cross-feeding in another study here is a common phenomenon in the gut microbiome where different bacterial species work together to utilize various nutrients and substrates. A study published in the Journal of Nature in 2018 found that cross-feeding interactions among gut bacteria are crucial for maintaining microbiome diversity and function. The researchers identified a network of cross-feeding interactions among different bacteria in the microbiome of healthy individuals, which include both the primary and the secondary fermenters. And so a whole bunch of studies support the fact that a lot of microbes need to eat the downstream sort of output of a bunch of other microbes and they can only thrive if there's periods of fasting yeah it's fascinating isn't it mm -hmm. 
it would yeah, have I been. Mean, it, it fits my experience. I did. I wasn't aware of the, the what you just uh, discussed right there in detail, but I mean that absolutely fits the ex- my experience. How? Because you would have been doing resets over the years, going back to baseline foods where you're just mm-hmm. eating a, a, a you know a limited range of foods, eating three meals. Like how, if you were to draw a graph, how significant was the progress month to month when your resets were down to the two meals a day, sometimes less, versus resets going back to the standard three meals a day? The, the resets doing three meals a day, I couldn't notice any difference. I mean, the, and I got I got the point where I did a, I think a year and a half where I was just doing baseline foods, and. You know that wasn't resetting me so that's where i started getting a little noticeable difference and a little bit of note you know where i was really noting that i i had more control i wouldn't say control but strong influence so it wasn't just grinding through and 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 pounding my head against the wall and 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 you know hoping that's going to be much better down the road but and being frustrated that I'm not getting progress, but that was when I got to that point where I started doing two meals a day. That's when I started noticing, you know, the slow, slow improvements over time. Mm. Um, and it wasn't as much of an abstract thing of looking back, trying to look back a year or two and think, uh, I think I'm better than that. So, yeah. How often were you then utilizing that strategy? And then What's your eating patterns like now? Um, the, the strategy of going to one meal a day. One I would two, say, yeah. yeah if so, I, I was just consistently doing two once I started that. Oh, yeah. Once I started that, that was just very consistent. The the exception would I I'd sometimes allow myself a, just a snack or some fruit or something in between, but not outside of that eight hours. Oh, right. But usually it would just be two meals, and then I would have to go to you know one meal a day, just depending on if the symptoms got really bad at some point. That could be, I think when I was struggling a lot, that was probably sometimes three or four times a month that I might have to do that at, at the worst. Other times it was just a couple times a month. So, Okay. Okay. That w- for the one day. So for the one day you were doing maybe a few a couple of times a month, but you were consistently eating two yes. meals yes. a day for months. Yes. Yeah. Okay. How about now? Yeah, Are I think st- I think I think that's I wouldn't say for months. I I I pretty much just adopted that eating pattern. And I I it's rare that see now now I can step outside that, but I, I really do. You know, there's I, I'm so kind of trained to that hmm. that I, and i don't see a reason to really step outside of that and eat necessarily eat three months a day anymore so. right so. your face looks full and i so normally you can imply a, a reasonable amount the rest of someone's body mass by you know mm-hmm. their fullness of, like uh, if i were to try and do a sketch underneath the zoom rectangle <laughs> i would draw you as like a uh, as a, as a solid healthy fit athletic build is that applicable i'm i'm still very thin but i always have been so right yeah i mean uh, so i i'm only 15 pounds heavier than i was you know when i was really too thin but 
I also, I've never been more than 15 pounds heavier than I am now, even when I was eating all the restaurant food every day. So, um, yeah, that has been, everybody says that's a, a huge blessing, but when it comes to RA, I think that's a curse. So, we're identical yeah. like that. Yes. Identical. Yeah. I think I could put myself into that exact same sentence you did mm -hmm. uh, with the with the variations. Yeah, are pretty much the yeah. same. Okay, so you've got your food thing dialed in. What about the um, the diversity of the foods now to to really, I guess, take this home? I in try terms to of, in those yeah. in those. Um, I have a routine for my food that I, I've stuck to because it works so well. And I literally try to eat about between about 30 to 40 different things at every each meal. So it's, it, 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 it's all the, it, I, what I do is I plan, I, I eat and I make all my food for the month, for the week. Once a week, I have to spend all the time making the food. And then I have this food I can pull out of the refrigerator and, and work with. And it also makes it consistent. So I always have, you know, I'm not buying a vegetable set. I'm not prepping and stuff like that because you get distracted and you got other things going on. You know, I prep everything all at once and then I'm, I'm getting my mix of all these different vegetables that are that, that took forever to chop. And, you know, I spend three hours just sitting or chopping vegetables, you know, once a week. It keeps, it keeps everything very diverse of what's coming in. And things are not being constantly just left out because you're too busy with other 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 things that day. And what do they look like? Give us an idea of your meals. I typically start with um, a, a, a big bowl of quinoa and buckwheat with, I'll just put all kinds of different, I basically make that a giant salad, usually with red, red cabbage and uh, at this point i was put almost always put some nuts and seeds on it i i have some little dulce on there sometimes um i put on there's almost always something like you know carrots radishes this cucumber just whatever i put in there that day then i have these uh big vegetable mixes that i make and they almost always have and it lasts a whole whole week it almost always has uh, many heads of broccoli, multiple, usually multiple cauliflowers. We'll have uh, asparagus, um, usually different zucchinis and squash and mushrooms, onions, and it's, it's, it's baked. And that, that way it keeps it consistent. All these things are always coming in, um, even if I'm really kind of on the lazy side that day or really busy that day. And then... The next thing I'll usually have um, a lot of sweet potatoes, and then I'll usually have uh, some days I'll have like corn and some. Usually, usually the easiest is some frozen corn and some peas or something, and pop in the microwave. And then I'll usually have oats and a lot of berries or some sort of fruit at the end. So I try to have all this diversity at at almost every meal to make sure that I'm. I'm yeah, Keeping I'm loving it. Yes, I'm loving it. I would love to uh, see a microbiome sample. I reckon you'd yeah. be right up there with I, like quality. 
Yeah, I, I there was a, a, a long time ago. I was doing that U biome, and yeah. I wish I wish that data was still there that we can compare. But so I haven't I haven't had any kind of test or anything because I can't compare it to any of the old data. Uh, right. Yeah. Um, well, that'd be interesting. You know, when the time comes and you feel so inclined, you know, do a sample. I'd love to see a sample. <laughs> yeah. The results of the sample, I should say. So we've got. You know all these great things going on. You've got the, the the huge diversity of the intake of plant foods, which is microbiome rule number one, and then you've got long periods of intermittent fasting, right? So that's rule number two. Uh, for the rest of us, if we feel like, oh, uh, you know, this is something I should look at, the best way to begin exploring this direction is to eat earlier at night and keep your breakfast at the same time to pick yourself up an hour or an hour or two. So right now we've built into the program, finish eating by seven o'clock, don't eat before mm-hmm. seven in the morning. You've got 12 hours. Now, according to the microbiologist, the guy uh, who I quoted before, that is typically enough time for the secondary feeders to begin to benefit from the primary in terms of their metabolites. But we might need to explore this avenue a lot further in the avenue that you have and to look at extending that 12 hours to 13, 14 Mm -hmm. and so on. And as you point out, as long as you meet your calorie requirements, it's happy days, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was really careful to dial in and and really watch my weight during those, those times. And of course, uh, if, if there's a day of real, getting the calorie restriction then i would be i would have to not do the exercise that day but any day that was taken in the calories i was always on a bike or doing uh doing a light resistance training and recently started the the knees over toes that you recommended seems has, has really helped strengthen my knees and i believe more than even just the bicycle Yep. Tremendous. Okay. So we've got, let me see if I can hit most of the crucial things that you do so that other people can implement if they wish some of these strategies. So first of all, we, we, we've spent a fair bit of time and we wanted to uh, go into the details about reducing the number of meals and also compressing that eating window to a smaller period of time. Maybe in your case, down to eight hours, uh, other folks might like to explore reducing it from the current 12-hour recommendation down to 13, uh, sorry, yeah, increasing it to 13 or even 14 hours just to see how you go. It, it literally cannot hurt you. In fact, all the longevity studies that have been done, and there's never been this done on humans because you're not allowed to do these tests on humans, but restrictive eating that have been done on all animals that have been tested, restrictive eating as in you know, what you're doing has extended life and reduced the risk of all causes of different sorts of infections, diseases, and so on, right? So so overeating, by contrast, is the enemy to longevity, right? So as long as we, uh, as long as we're cautious, uh, we're doing a healthy thing here. And then on top of that, you've maintained exercise throughout this entire time, haven't you? We haven't given it much airtime, but it's been a crucial mm-hmm. factor, hasn't it? Yes, yes. Yeah, the other thing that I 
have gotten some benefit out of um, with exercise is static held resistance training. So you're not, I'm not working through over and over through the range of motion of the joint, but you're just doing like a static contraction. And uh, some examples of that is just like holding a push up for close to a minute or doing a pull up for close to a minute. Um, you know, and and just holding that position. Um, and that gets the cardio going too very well. Um work that works for for that as well. The 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 problem with that was there was times where I, I had to give that up long periods of time because it seemed to be, even though it was good most days, it was probably it was still probably too much decompression for the wrist or compression. Mm. And it seemed like that was my wrists were continuing to be my problem area in the long term. So, so I cut that out for a long time. If if you have difficulty with the wrists, that that depending on how you're doing it, that that could be a concern. Um, but overall, that's you know doing like a static held um, squat, like you would do in yoga or, or or some of these other situations where you can be as gentle as you can on the joints. Has been very helpful. Couldn't agree more. I would say still a portion of my exercises now, after years and years of experimentation and trial and error and failing and making some progress, we've put it all together. Still parts of my workout is mm -hmm. isometric exercises, yeah. mm -hmm. right? I'm holding a position for a period of time while I count in my head or I look at a clock or something. Mm -hmm. And we can absolutely build muscle mass doing this and reduce yeah, that, inflammation. That helped me. That was the first thing that helped me start to gain a little bit of weight back from the from the, when I was at 130 pounds for almost two years. Mm -hmm. um, that was what started me getting back to in the 140s and at, at some point up to close to 150. So, yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay, um, and then obviously throughout this, if people uh, have not, we haven't spelled out the obvious, but you've been eating plants all that time. To get to this point, you haven't been uh, eating. You've had the discipline of not eating out at restaurants, abstaining from animal products and dairy products. Yeah, I mean, all that stuff is, uh, uh, yeah, it seemed to be like, didn't need to be said, but yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. our audience mostly, but some... There might be some newcomers to the um, mm -hmm. to yeah. this uh, this this uh, podcast, and then um, let's well, see. When when I was going through your, I stick to everything I do is on your on your reintroduction sheet, and the, there's only a few things that are not explicitly on there, but they fit the general pattern of eating, and I wrote them in, you know, as as I feel that they're very safe. It's very clear this is, is what I eat, and that's what I stick to. Mm. Mm. And any exploration or worthy noting of any supplements, or do you think that that throws credit to uh, to, to where it doesn't deserve? In in general, the supplements were not helpful for me. I, I would dabble in them quite a bit, especially especially for probiotics, and I couldn't find any noticeable benefit when I was taking them. But the caveat to that now 
is now that I'm doing so well, if I take out my fermented vegetables after about three to five weeks, I start getting a little bit more RA symptoms again. And then as soon as I put them back in, I can disclose right back. So there's been a couple of times I've tried to test that and make sure that that would be true for like a probiotic supplement. And I haven't been able to for sure probably prove that, but I imagine it's probably true there too. But back when I was having horrible symptoms, I was not able to, to notice a difference. Um, and any of the other supplements I've ever tried um, have not, you know, never seemed to make any any help for me. That doesn't mean that certain people might benefit for a certain thing, but for me, the none of them are that helpful. You know, and just careful the supplement wise by you know, vitamin D, B twelve. I do algae, algae, omega three. Yeah, beautiful. I'm glad you mentioned the fermented foods that you're eating as well. I mean, you really have a, um, you really have checked all the boxes in terms of how to optimize gut health. That's why I believe you just feel so much better. I do genuinely believe that you have just re-established a healthy microbiome by doing all of these things. As I said, I'd love to see a uh, a report of your microbiome analysis. Um, and I, it's, it's great that we also have de-emphasized the reliance on supplements. Some, some guests have find that that was a breakthrough for them. Mm-hmm. My experience are that they play a secondary role, like we talked about, like the secondary feeders in the microbiome. Yeah. They're really, they really are only a supplement compared to the big, the big hitters. The big picture. Yeah. Yeah. Meditation, Brian, tell us about the impact of that before we wrap this up. I couldn't I couldn't discern that that was beneficial to the actual symptoms, but I think that was absolutely vital in emotionally getting through all that and keeping myself centered with especially you know the the frustration of after you know two years, you know like is this really helping you know like every time it, it keeps happening two days later, you know, and then you're just struggling for a couple of days. It's like that mental, you know, just frustration and anguish and sometimes just outright despair over it. Mm. Um, I can't, I can't imagine getting through it without that. Right. Yeah. So maybe not to reduce symptoms, but to allow your self in your mind to be able to get up each morning and say, yeah. I've got enough and in the keep, tank. And keep yeah. all the tedious work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you think we've missed anything? Is there anything that needs to be mentioned that has definitely been part of your toolkit? You mentioned the support. It's been a pleasure to work with you over several years and to assist intermittently as you've needed mm-hmm. me. I've always enjoyed those interactions. You know, you provided me with uh, clear summaries and updates, and just a couple of simple questions. And then I would look forward to the to the next installment. As you said, like mm-hmm. six months later, you did yeah. most of this on your own. Is there anything yeah, else than all these things we've talked about that you think needs a mention? I did the work on my own, but you know, 
without my wife's support and you know family support and also like like i mentioned at the very beginning just knowing that you and everybody else in a support form are there also going through this and so many people getting benefit from this helps you know helps keep you going mm. it's like the four minute mile isn't it until someone yeah. till you've got an mm -hmm. example you don't mm -hmm. you, you can't believe in yourself well thank you brian uh how confident this is my last question then i'll let you go uh, on a scale of like zero to ten how confident are you now with your inflammatory arthritis that you feel like you've you've developed the tools to be able to you know thwart off a little symptom here and a little symptom there well but yeah it little symptom here and a little symptom there yes i'm very confident but at the same time i'm aware that i can't i can never just go back to eating this general restaurant food and and you know eating animal products and everything that's going to start pushing me in the wrong direction i'm also aware that you know i just be have to be very cautious and and know that if, if there was ever a situation I had to take antibiotics or something dramatic happened, you know, I'd have to be mentally, you know, prepared that what's likely to happen for a long time. Um, and would I try another medication or something at that point? I might. I'll have to cross that bridge if I get there. As far as, as, far as where I'm at and small symptoms day to day, I'm very confident that that's very stable mm. and it, it, it has been for the really the last year and a half i've just been in such excellent shape most of the time and and with those little moments that i don't have you know i have a little bit of symptoms for a few days or whatever or just for a few hours a few times a month you know it's so minimal and so easy to just get back you know, to where I was. And I, I always know that, I, you know, if if things were really bad for a few days, I, okay, I'll start doing uh, oscillating between two meals a day and one meal a day, back and forth a little bit, you know, to ease back the inflammation over time. Mm. It's incredible and phenomenal, you know. Okay. It's, uh, it's a huge transformation. And, um, you know, you must... Uh, must be pretty uh, thrilled with how far you've come. Yeah. It's certainly it's certainly amazing to sit and listen to you talk through this journey. You know, so thanks for sharing. It's uh, inspirational. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, like I said, I don't even if I found all that the right direction on my own. I, I you know, without you having things laid out in the support, I I don't know if I could have pushed through that long without getting without eventually giving up thinking this is not going to work, which, which you have put together is, is very comprehensive. Yeah, thanks very much. Well, thanks for uh, applying it to the extent that you have and, and pushing some of the barriers in directions that uh, 
you know, some of our other guests, including myself, haven't done, you know, in terms of that eating uh, pattern. We had a guest on the show a couple of months, about a month ago. I want to say Mike or Matt. We had a Mike and a Matt very close together. And they used, he was from South Africa, uh, living in the US at the moment when I interviewed him. He also used the restricted eating to phenomenal effect. Mm -hmm. And the two of you in that sense have very uh, similar uh, experiences where just phenomenal outcomes um, around that. So this is something that I'm going to explore over the coming years, probably, uh, as more people are trying this and I gather more feedback around this. Well, obviously, as I read out before, there's plenty of science around this. Mm I don't know whether we'll officially, you know, change anything with our program, but there certainly could be a sort of an additional paragraph that says, hey, by yeah. the way, yeah. if you're interested in reducing your eating window, different, this could different. work for you. You know? An extra step of troubleshooting or whatever. But totally. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't encourage somebody to start there or start there and you know in the first few months. I mean, getting everything else in line. It's really, I mean, that's more important. And if you can get help from medications, I do not recommend people do it without medication. That is not, not a good experience. Yeah. Yeah. Even though I was trying medications, but yeah, that's it. We've got to get inflammation down. That's the number one priority. It's very difficult to improve leaky gut if you've got high inflammation levels because. Anywhere in the body, if there's inflammation, we have increased gut lining inflammation. So tons of studies on that. So inflammation down is number one, which is the message that you've, uh, uh, you know, you, what you're getting out there. And if medications assist you with that and they don't have counterproductive impact on the gut, that's a win. That's a huge win. That'll help you on your healing mission. Brian, thank you so much. I'm going to let you go, my friend. It must be getting late there. Uh, you're in Buffalo, so uh, you need to uh, wind down for the evening. I want to say thanks once again. I appreciate you and all that you've done. Thanks for sharing today. Um, If anyone else uh, would, if you're watching this and you've got a wonderful story to share, just like Brian, please reach out to me. We'd love to share stories like this. We can learn and exchange ideas and benefit the rheumatoid arthritis community. Thanks for watching, everyone. If you like this video on YouTube, make sure thumbs up, subscribe. And if you're on the podcast listening to this and you like this episode and you want to say thank you to Brian, who this is his first appearance, ladies and gentlemen, on the internet, uh, please head over and uh, and give us a five-star review on iTunes. I don't ask very often because it gets a bit laborious, but like literally ask like a couple of times a year, if you could go and give us a five-star review on iTunes, it would help other people find this show. Thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. Yep. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Rheumatoid Solutions. If you'd like to get more help to live an easier, healthier, and happier life, visit rheumatoidsolutions.com.